0: Hello again, I'm Drew McKenna and welcome to Grafted Branches, a podcast all about getting to know Jesus in the land and the time he lived. And as always, with me is my beautiful wife, Deborah.
1: (laughs) Hello to all our listeners and thank you for taking a small slice of your time to spend with us. One of the things I personally like to hear is how our topics have helped people. I believe it's way too easy to forget that Jesus never taught his followers to be religious. Everything he said and did is to help us learn how to navigate and work through our daily lives. So let's get started. What are we talking about today?
0: Well, let me ask you a question. From churches to the secular culture, what are some of the most common and popular teachings we hear from the Bible?
1: I would have to say... The number one biblical verse used by secular culture is, Judge not lest you be judged, and is taken completely out of context. From the pulpit, I would say, there are two very commonly taught stories, the parable of the prodigal son and the narrative of the woman caught in adultery. Both of these depict the goodness of God, and it's easy for people to see themselves as a prodigal or as someone who has been caught in some sort of sexual immorality. But the Bible isn't the only place where these stories have characters we can recognize with it. The story of Cinderella is one such example of a young woman who's abused by her evil stepmother and stepsisters. Much like the prodigal, I believe most of us see ourselves in
0: Cinderella. I agree, and it's really easy to picture ourselves as as the one in need of redemption from God. But what if there's more? What if Jesus had something else for his followers to learn? Today we're going to talk about, from a historical point of view, one of the most popular and commonly taught narratives in the New Testament, the woman caught in adultery.
1: Why do you say the story of the adulterous woman is the most historical of the stories?
0: Well, it's because the story is used as an example in the writings and instructions of the early Christian church. Uh, In the 3rd century, long before the establishment of what most of us would recognize as the Christian Church, the story of the adulterous woman was first used. What do you think the emphasis of this teaching was?
1: I bet it wasn't all about how we can be forgiven of our sexual misconduct.
0: And you're correct. The very first known mention of the adulterous woman narrative was an early church teaching about how leaders are to behave when similar circumstances arise. Let me read what uh, they taught for our listeners. Quote, For if you don't receive him who repents because you are merciless, you sin against the Lord God, because you do not obey our Lord and God in acting as he acted. For even he, to the woman who had sinned, whom the elders placed before him and left judgment at his hands, and then went away. He then, who searches the hearts, asked her and said to her, Have the elders condemned you, my daughter? She said to him, No, Lord. And our Savior said, Go and return no more to do this. Neither do I condemn you. Notice there wasn't any appeal to repent of sin and how Jesus will forgive.
1: Let's see. If I understand this teaching correctly, if we fail to treat others like Jesus treated the adulterous woman, we sin against God. I like it. It's a bit different from the teaching I hear from the pulpit today. Amazing. Those who say they know him are to act like him, our teacher Jesus.
0: From this story, the main and only point of the early church was instructing their leaders on how they were to act like Jesus. Isn't it interesting if we fail to treat others, people caught up in sin, as Jesus did, we are the ones that become sinners in need of repentance. And this leads us right into what we're going to talk about in this podcast. What can we learn about how Jesus handled this encounter?
1: Before we go any further, many of our listeners will notice that in their Bibles, a set of brackets around, or a note attached to, this narrative in John 8. Typically, there's a footnote explaining how the story is not found in the earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of John. Does this invalidate the authenticity of the story? Or in simpler words, did this really happen?
0: Well, the answer is simply this. The story wasn't in the earliest copies of the Gospel of John. However, it doesn't necessarily make the story untrue and not worth knowing. What we need to ask ourselves is this, does it fit in with how Jesus would have acted in his first century Hebraic context?
1: Grafted Branches is all about getting to know Jesus and his teachings in a first century Hebraic context, so we can better live it out. Looking at the story from that view, viewpoint, let's get started.
0: Okay, I'll begin by reading the narrative and then we'll parse the pieces together of first century Hebrew teaching and cultural points. So, this is from the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Now, early in the morning, he came into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set him, excuse me, when they set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So Deborah, will you summarize the main ideas of the text for our listeners?
1: It's all important for us to slow down and look at the parts of the story. I think all of us want to jump right to the punchline, and in doing so, miss so much of what God wants us to hear and understand. First of all, Jesus does what is really common in Jerusalem. He goes to the temple to teach. It's important to notice the time. It's morning. So when we see people who are also at the temple come over to hear him.
0: is well, it important for us to know that Jesus has come to the temple to teach and that people are there to hear him.
1: Most people tend to think the whole purpose of the temple, the house of God, was to provide a place for sacrifice for forgiveness of sin. It's far more than that. It's a place where God said he would come and live with his people. In Exodus, he said, Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell in their midst. Just think about it. God, the creator of all, has his people build a home so he can live with them. The rabbis recognized that living with God meant they needed to know him. Therefore, it was common for the great teachers to come and teach God's instructions right in the temple. They got to know him by learning how to live it out, his instructions for life.
0: So the text makes it clear it's morning and Jesus is teaching in the temple. Then what happens?
1: This is the part we hear the most. Some scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery and set her in the center where Jesus was teaching. Then they called Jesus' teacher, give a short statement about the law, and asked for his opinion in order to accuse him.
0: It's important to see and hear what they are asking Jesus about. Let me read it again. Quote, Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They correctly state a woman who is guilty of adultery is to be put to death. There's just one problem. Where is the man who is also guilty of adultery and therefore death?
1: So what's actually going on here? Christians are typically taught from the pulpit that all Pharisees are mean-spirited, two-faced hypocrites. And here they are demanding for Jesus to make a pronouncement of judgment on this woman. As we have discussed in an earlier podcast titled Two Schools of Pharisees Who Knew, there were two main schools of Pharisees and they often hotly debated and disagreed on interpretation of the Torah and how to live it out in daily practice. And when you think about it, we have Christian denominations who hotly debate and disagree on interpretation of the Bible and how to live it out in daily practice.
0: That's true. Um, However, in this story, we have to be aware of the setting. It's in the temple and not in the court where such judgments about adultery would be made. Jesus is teaching Torah, God's instructions to his listeners, and the question he is challenged with is this. How does he interpret the instructions about adultery? I want to emphasize he is not being asked to judge the woman, but what does he say about the law? Pharisees and scribes have brought a living, breathing example that will affect another person's life. How Jesus answers this challenge is absolutely critical, especially to the woman standing in front of him.
1: Yes, they were testing Jesus and doing it in a very serious and in-his-face manner. A woman's life is at stake. It says they were testing Jesus, which means they want to know his interpretation of Torah in this particular manner. If they find a flaw in his response, they can accuse him of being a false teacher.
0: Yes, it seems the answer is they are testing him and his teachings and not asking for judgment. They want to see what this teacher, surrounded by disciples in the most holy place in Israel, will say and do. Before we can go any further, our listeners need to understand that by the first century, the Pharisees actually did not universally believe in capital punishment, particularly in private family-related situations. Acts chapter 7 gives us a glimpse of this. When the Sadducean, and I emphasize Sadducean, high priest, calls for the stoning of Stephen, the young Pharisee Paul did not participate. History teaches us the Pharisees were more interested in mercy and justice than literally executing people. The Jewish historian Josephus says of them, the Pharisees are naturally lenient in the matter of punishments.
1: It is recorded, Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai, a prominent Pharisee and contemporary of Jesus, canceled the testing and punishment of adulterous women. He based his decision on Hosea 4.14. I'll read it for our listeners. Quote, I will not punish your daughters when they play the harlot, or your daughter-in-laws when they commit adultery. For the men themselves associate with harlots and offer sacrifices with temple prostitutes so the people without understanding are ruined. I also have to point out that Rabbi Yohanan ben Sakai was also known for his opposition to the Sadducees' interpretation of the Torah, the Jewish law.
0: So after doing a bit of research, we have to conclude there's something else going on here. As a rabbi and teacher, Jesus can only comment on the legality and process of the crime based on his interpretation of Torah. It would be up to a judge to make the final decision. At this point in history, they are most likely testing Jesus, meaning they wanted to know where he stood on this hotly debated issue.
1: So what does Jesus do? He applies what we read from Hosea 4.14. Let me read it again. I will not punish your daughters when they play the harlot or your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery. For the men themselves associate with harlots and offer sacrifices with temple prostitutes. So the people without understanding are ruined.
0: You know, we have to marvel at how Jesus alluded to the well-known text from Hosea. Rather than quoting scripture word for word, he did something else. He paused and wrote on the ground. Essentially, Jesus ignored them, that is, the scribes and Pharisees, and their question. So much so, they continued to ask him about the woman. So what was Jesus' response?
1: He straightened up and said these famous and often quoted words, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone at her. It's a direct allusion to Hosea 4.14, and they got it. It was exactly what Rabbi Zakkai taught. This is another excellent example of how studying the culture and history of the first century Israel helps us to better understand Jesus' message.
0: Next, though, we see Jesus' back riding on the ground. His answer, a real-life example of the Hosea text, is exactly what this particular group of Pharisees taught about the prosecution of adultery. It begins to sink in, and one by one, these scribes and Pharisees left until the woman was the only one left. She was standing alone. Lest we we forget, she is standing amongst those who had come to hear Jesus' teaching. To reinforce this idea, the very first of those Pharisees to leave were the older ones. So why is this important? The respect for wisdom which comes with age is a key aspect of the Hebrew community. This detail also lets us know they got it, and Jesus said exactly what they would expect from a great teacher of God's instructions.
1: I want to emphasize what Jesus told the woman as the last man left. Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She replied, No, Lord. To which he said, I do not condemn you either. What we often hear about this exchange is how Jesus forgave her sin. There's just one problem with this idea. The text doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't forgive her, nor does he judge her sin. Why? Because there was no proof provided, no witnesses to accuse her of it. Everything up to this point is just hearsay. But Jesus does leave her with a very pointed instruction, something we should all hear. From now on, go and sin no more, meaning to stop living a life of immorality.
0: You know, it's true. We all have sin that we're guilty of. Some of us are caught red-handed at it by others, but much of it is hidden from view. Even if God doesn't condemn us for our sin, Jesus teaches us to stop it, make a change, and become the poster child for what we call repentance. So what did Jesus do in this narrative? The most important thing was to not abolish the heart of God's instructions on dealing with adultery. What he did do was affirm how important in all things to act completely just, showing loving kindness and to humbly walk with God. I mentioned earlier in this podcast. first mentioning of this narrative was used to instruct church leaders to be like Jesus and how he met the challenges of her accusers.
1: In their effort to find out how Jesus interpreted the laws of adultery, they embarrassed and publicly humiliated this woman. What did Jesus do? He showed justice, love, and humbleness, not just to the woman, but to her accusers as well. Not only does the woman who was supposedly caught in adultery need to go and stop her behavior, so do those who used her to test Jesus' interpretation.
0: We also need to see God in action here, and how he always shows grace and mercy to his creation. In spite of the instructions to stone an adulterer for their crime, he speaks through the prophet Hosea with caring and lovely—excuse me loving words. I will not punish your daughters when they play the harlot or your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery. Did God say he was ignoring his own instructions? No, he did not. He applied justice, mercy, and grace to the situation. He took into consideration the circumstances and measured perfectly. And so did Jesus when the woman was thrust into his circle.
1: Like the earliest followers of Jesus wrote, we need to live and act like our Messiah. Quote, For if you don't receive him who repents because you are merciless, you sin against the Lord God, because you do not obey our Lord and God in acting as he acted. I'd like to add some food for thought. At the beginning of our podcast, I mentioned the stories of the prodigal son and Cinderella, it seems we enjoy seeing ourselves like the prodigal, as the one being forgiven by our loving heavenly father, or as Cinderella, who is rescued from an abusive situation and now our inner qualities can grow and be recognized.
0: But we need to pause a minute and ask ourselves as time passes, do we behave more like the prodigal's older brother who grumbled and was resentful at his father's welcoming of his repentant younger brother?
1: Or in our church communities, have we become more like Cinderella's emotionally abusive, jealous stepmother who was determined to promote her own interests at the expense of others?
0: So what's the take home from this story of the adulterous woman? Instead of seeing ourselves at the center of attention, needing forgiveness of our sin, we need to be like Jesus. We need to know how he wants us to apply God's instructions for life. So the next time someone or some group wants to metaphorically call for a stoning, what will we do?
1: In Acts chapter 5, when faced with a situation calling for the death of Peter, a prominent Pharisee named Gamaliel a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and wisely gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. Then he calmly said to the council, Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do to these men. He showed God's justice, grace, and mercy, just like Jesus did that day in the temple.
0: When Jesus told the woman, Go and sin no more, he was also speaking to us. I can't help but hear these words from Micah 6, 8. Quote, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God?
1: We'd like to thank all of you for listening today. For more information about who the two main groups of Pharisees were in the first century, we encourage you to check out our podcast titled, The Two Schools of Pharisees. Who knew? It's really an eye-opener understanding the history and culture of the first century Israel is crucial to understanding Jesus' message.
0: So thank you again for listening to our podcast today. We encourage you to check out our website where you'll find resources from a variety of scholars and their extensive research into the life and culture of Jesus during the time period in which he lived. I hope you can see why we always end with this. Get to Get know, know him, him what he you not, you.
1: and go live it.
0: Go out live it, great. Thank you so <laughs> Thank very
1: much.
0: Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs>